God is very powerful and he is very big. He's bigger than us, he's smarter than us, and he's stronger than us. God takes care of us. Up there. Up there. Um, in uh, heaven. Up there. Up there. Up there. Up in the sky. Yes, you can, actually. On Sundays at church. And when you pray. pictured him as like a face inside a cloud. I always pictured him as maybe a mustache and a beard and a robe and yeah. And he wears sandals. I think he has long hair and he wears like uh, robes and sandals. We all have our picture of God, don't we? Do you resonate with any of those kids? God who is strong, loving, caring? I don't know about you, but this whole series is pretty challenging for me, and I'm getting a lot of feedback. Um, I have a confession to make. We all like confessions, right? Because behind every confession is some juicy truth. Some of you, when I tell you what my confession is, will be disappointed in me. I'm okay with that. Some of you will just shake your head and just probably say, ah, that's what's wrong with him. (laughs) Others of you, a very small few elect will join me, and we can go have a party sometime. Here's my confession. I love, I really enjoy watching wrestling. (laughs) I'm not talking about the Olympic sport with years, decades of history behind it where you can even win a gold medal and be proud and represent your country. I'm talking about the face painting, mask wearing, steroid taking, flying through the air, Hulk Hogan wrestling. My favorite character, or one of them, happens to be someone known or who calls himself the Great Kali. Anybody know who the great Kali is? You can be honest. No? All right, there's one person in the back. In fact, I know that Pastor Appreciation Month just ended, but if you ever want to make my day, you and I, oh, and Dustin, he just told me, and Dustin, we can go and watch some wrestling. That would just make our day. But I digress. The great Kali. The great Kali is a seven foot, three inch, 420 pound monster. I think that's taller than you, Rob. A little bit. The guy wears a size 25 shoe. 
And to, to demonstrate his strength, he will take a football and he'll just implode it with his hands. Or a basketball and just suck all the air out of it. The guy sitting next to him is his translator and he is over six feet tall. And when you get into the ring with him or you watch what happens in the ring, it's just not fun. I mean, he just annihilates his competition. But that's not power. It may be fun to watch. Well, at least for me. Grace doesn't understand why I do that. He says I'm wasting my time. I, I love it. Not power. Power is the ability to say to a man who's been dead for three days, I love you. I created you. Come forth. Power, real power, is the ability to talk to demons that have been possessing a boy and say, get out of here. Real power is the ability to look out into a crowd of thousands of people who were once hungry and say, look at all the food that is left over. That's power. We're talking about the character of God in our series right now. We're calling it identity, identity theft. Many of us have stories to share where we have experienced the power of God in our lives. Probably equal many of us have times in our lives where we've asked, really? Where are you? And there might even be a select few of you out there who say, you know, I believe there's a God, but I'm really angry with him right now. Because if we really believe, as Pastor Chris has been sharing for the last several weeks, that at the center, at the core of who God is, he is all love and all good. Can we say that God is really all-powerful? Some would say no. Some says you cannot have an all-powerful God and an all-loving God. It's just not possible. I'm not willing to go there. I want to look at that today. My first memories of studying about the character of God were in grade school. I went to an Adventist grade school like many of you did. And I remember sitting in class and our teacher telling us, sharing with us about the omni-characters of God. You probably heard them too. Omnipresent. You can name them off. What else is there? Omniscient. What else? Omnipotent, omnibenevolent. And the only thing that we can grasp our heads around was this. God is like Superman. 
So we call them the Superman characteristics. And if you're like a lot of kids were, you probably ask the question, so if God's really all that strong, can he make a rock so big that he can't carry it? You've asked that question? Yeah, I have. As we get older, I think the phraseology changes a little bit, but the premise behind it doesn't. Because then we begin to ask, if God is so loving, why is there so much pain? Fair question to ask. And so how is it that we understand God's power in this world? The identity theft of God has been going on for generations and everything that we know about God and his character has to be understood within his nature. And if we're going to keep the love of God central to that, then his power must be understood through that lens. C.S. Lewis kind of helps us to formulate our understanding of this. He says this, God's omnipotence means power to do all that is intrinsically possible, not to do the intrinsically impossible. You may attribute miracles to him, but not nonsense. This is the demand when asking whether he can make a stone so big that he cannot lift it. He's not saying the question is nonsense, the thoughts that we have is nonsense, but the concept behind it is. You can't have two mutually exclusive characteristics. When we try to make sense of a world where God is all-loving and all-powerful, I think we have to tread carefully. We have to be very careful in how we define what God's power means. I don't think that God being all-powerful can allow us to say that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to, because that would limit our free choice. About 2,000 years ago, God's identity was put on question. Pastor Chris alluded to this last week in her sermon about God and the cross. I want to revisit that a little bit today. Um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, and we'll start reading in verse 49. Jesus lived in occupied territory while he was here on earth. He lived in a territory that was occupied by the great Roman Empire, who had the largest, most efficient, powerful army in the world. And we're going to read starting in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 49. We're going to pick up as Judas comes right in to the garden to betray Jesus. So for, starting in verse 49. Going at once to Jesus, Judas says, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. 
do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, I'm leading a rebellion, or Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day, I sat at the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then the disciples deserted him and fled. Now, a legion in the Roman army was about 6,000 soldiers. So if we're talking about 12 legions of, of angels... We're talking about enough angels to fill a capacity crowd during playoff time in the Staples Center over three times. So you've been there, you've walked out of the Staples Center, you've seen all those people. If it's filled three times, that's the number of angels we're talking about. I don't know about you, but that's pretty powerful. It's a lot of force you've got, to, you've got there. But instead of unleashing all that power, all that force for his good, Jesus submits. And so he's arrested. He's taken away. He's beaten. He's spat upon. And he's placed upon the cross. The cross, an ugly symbol of the destructive force behind the peace of Rome. how different it is from the omnipotent power of God. At any point during Passion Week, the omnipotent God could have unleashed legions of angels, but he chose not to because he loved. Ellen White says this in The Desire of Ages. She says, felt by, he felt that by sin he was being separated from his father. The gulf was so broad, so black, so deep that his spirit shuddered before it. Through this agony, he must not exert his divine, his divine power to escape. God's omnipotent power was displayed to us as it was funneled through his love on that cross. As he hung there, taking everything that this world had to throw at him. His power said, I choose to do nothing but accept on their behalf. And so his power, his omnipotent power, is displayed to us in his love. His others-centered, self-sacrificing love. Maybe you need to sit with that for a while. Maybe you need to sit with the God who self-limits his power for your good, for our good. I think if we really take that seriously, we tend to, or we're forced to, reevaluate what we say and how we say it. One writer puts it this way. He says, 
I wonder if our overemphasis on his omnipotence has dealt God an injustice in our world. Could it be that by upholding his power, we have called his absolute love into question? Could it be that we have even placed upon God power that he does not want to use? Some of us have experienced situations where we wonder if God really is all-powerful in this world. I have too. I have questions about it all the time. As I was getting ready for the sermon, I came across this... um, fascinating cartoon that, that struck a nerve with me. It's from The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. And Lee goes around interviewing all sorts of theologians and, and experts. And one of those people he interviews was Peter Kreef. And as they're talking, Peter shares with Lee a, a, a cartoon. And it's about two turtles. One turtle says to the other, sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty famine, and injustice when he could do something about it. And the other turtle responds back. I'm afraid that God might ask me the same question. An interesting perspective. Are we not equipped with a powerful love demonstrated to us on that cross? Often we talk about the love aspect of things, how we must love our neighbor, how we must love our family. But that love we have is a powerful love. A powerful love that we can use for good. Honestly, sometimes as Christians, as leaders in the Christian church, we say things, we do things that are very hurtful. causes people to kind of step back and question the God that we worship, not necessarily questioning us. I wonder if sometimes we tie God's hands by not acting in this world with the love that he's given to us to share, the powerful love that he's given to us to share. A few weeks ago, it was a crazy time in Southern California. If you lived in the same community I did, then you know that there were lots of fires and lots of people that were displaced. And um, I think it was last Tuesday, or two Tuesdays ago now, I went down to the Orange Show and um, just walking around, and I met up with the volunteer director of the Red Cross. And as we were talking... You know, I asked her, I said, is there anything that you guys need help with? Is there anything that we as a church can come and help you all with? And immediately she just said, we need help with keeping this place clean. I thought, hmm, okay. Not exactly what I was thinking about, but okay. And as we were talking more, she asked me this question and she said, Isaac, is your Adventist church the type of group that will be in this for the long haul? Or 
are you the type of people that will come and, and help when needed and it's publicized, but go away when it's not in your face anymore? And that question stuck with me, and, and I left, and I was sharing with Chris, you know, this is what happened, and we honestly didn't expect that they would call. But they did. I think the next day they called and left me a message and they said, Isaac, we have a time for you to come and, and really help us out. We need you to bring a group of people to clean. I said, sure, we can do that. So they asked for 10 to 15 people. And, and so last Sabbath, if you were here, we brought before you an opportunity to donate money to the Fire Relief Fund and also to sign up to help the Red Cross at the evacuation center. A two-part approach as our initial response. You did not disappoint us. This congregation, all of you, look around you, donated thousands of dollars to help fire victims. That's a wonderful thing. The sad part was that not one of us, not one, of the hundreds of people that were here that day signed up to go and clean up at the shelter. And as we reflect back on this, we wonder what type of impact we can make as Christians if we can use our hands and our wallets in our community. What a powerful love does for us and it gives us a perspective to help where help is needed when it's needed. We're two turtles on a journey. So let me ask you, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much distress, agony, injustice in this world when you and I can do something about it? This is not a Sacramento problem. This is not a Washington, D.C. problem. This is not even a Silver Springs, Maryland problem. This is something that you and I can address right here, right now. So can God be all powerful and all good? Oh, I think so. I won't settle for anything less. How great is a God who invites us. How great is a God whose love and his power is made complete when the people that he loves, when the people that he invites to fulfill that power and love pick up our tools and do something. How great is a love of God that invites us to join him every day. So go now 
using the powerful love of God displayed for you on that cross, making a powerful impact in God's world, in your world. Amen.